What is it that you want? I don't know, but this world, I think there may be something wrong with this world. Something hiding underneath. Either that or, or there's something wrong with me. I may be losing my mind. Hey everybody, not much of a rind on you guys. Welcome to our podcast, I'm Jason. <laughs> and I'm Damon. <laughs> and this is Westworldcast episode two, working on that intro. I still don't know what that phrase means. I, I, I know, <laughs> exactly. It means whatever you guys want it to be. Before we get into <laughs> the main uh, part of the podcast today, I just thought one little topic. So they're called hosts on the show, but um, you know, that's that that term is more in relation to what they are to the guests they're the hosts but what are they i you know i i was calling them androids for a while i notice sometimes on the show they're referred to as robots what do you think uh yeah i noticed that too that they were called robots and i thought there was some irony in that because we're led to think of them as more than that Mm -hmm. and i don't think androids is exactly correct that sort of has a robot implication then I was thinking about cyborgs. Right, because they have... Well, they seem to have living tissue, although it Correct, could all be synthetic. but they really... Right, yeah. it actually is synthetic, yeah. I think we're given to believe, with the uh, sort of uh, fantastic 3D printing machine. Mm-hmm. Although at one point in these two episodes, she says something about halting the necrotic process or or the um, decaying process or something, the um, stray that came back and back you know his head's halfway bashed in but but yeah i think it is synthetic though yeah that's a good point though maybe there is a we don't know exactly what that material is right so maybe it has a living component and then mm-hmm. cyborg would be a good uh would be a good term to use. Mm-hmm. i mean i feel okay just going in between the terms host robot and android because they really don't seem to have settled on one but it is a good point that all those are sort of derogatory Yes. And, you know, since you brought this up, I was going to get into this uh, later when we were doing our top five, but we've sort of come upon it here at the beginning. I was thinking about Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, Mm -hmm. which figures into his all his short stories about robots, um, which are compiled in a book called iRobot, which was then made into a movie that has absolutely nothing to do (laughs) do with any of Asimov's stories. But looks cool. Right. It looks cool. It's just kind of an action movie with Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wrote all these short stories, and then he wrote a series of novels sort of brilliantly constructed around these three laws of robotics. And Which the, are? Three, the three laws of robotics seem so plausible and natural that they were adopted into all this other science fiction. Right. As if they just, you know, it's just sort of the way it had a to given. be. So the three laws are... 
one, a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm. Two, a robot must obey orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Mm -hmm. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. So if a, it, if a human pretty well thought out. tells a robot to harm itself, then by that, those definitions, it would need to do it. I think. Um, I think that's correct. But yeah. what's interesting in these Asimov stories is then they go into all the little details of this and how it really works uh-huh. and whether it holds true in every situation and how, whether there's loopholes or something. <laughs> right. And how they conflict and all that stuff. But I, I started thinking about that. Um, in connection with Westworld, because the cyborgs or androids or hosts, whatever you want to call them, supposedly are not allowed to harm a human being, although that we know that gets changed mm-hmm. over the course of season one. But they're not so much for laws two and three, obeying orders and certainly not preserving their own existence. Right. Uh, so we've departed here. Although you could, well, no, I think you're right. I mean, the um, stray that bashes his own head in, I feel like, because we find out later that, and, and by the way, in case you don't already know, we've we've seen all of season one, and so we'll be talking about this from that perspective. So if you haven't seen season one and you don't want to be spoiled, you should stop listening or go watch it. But um, Yes, go binge watch the yeah, show right now right and then come back. No. Okay, we're back. Um, so the the stray robot, he uh, was trying to get to a point where he could send out a signal and, and somebody is using him to spy or get data, right? So it may have been part of his programming. I mean, I mean, I think we can infer that it was that if he gets captured or caught, he should destroy himself so that that won't be found out, right? I, that's what I yeah, thought I, anyway. Yes, but, I, I think that's correct. But they are harming themselves all over the place at other times too. Right. <laughs> so interestingly, I, I had thought the first time we watched the show before knowing what was going to happen, mm-hmm. that that stray killed himself to prevent his harming a human being. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Because and otherwise the rock would have right. yeah, been for Elsie. Right. Yeah. Um, Intense scene. And, but we've... But I think you're right. We find out that's not the case. And we also find out that uh, by the end of episode four, Dissonance Theory, that Maeve realizes she's not harming herself. Mm-hmm. That she's going to be repaired. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so that, that her... changes the definition of that rule. Somewhere. Correct. Yeah. But all of this came to mind when in between the rewatch of Westworld, I happened to watch Aliens which is a movie I've seen many times and love. And at the beginning of that movie, Bishop, the so-called artificial person says, um, you shouldn't be scared of me. I can't injure a human being or by a mission of action, allow a human being to be harmed. Uh, and I thought, wow, they just stole that right, right out of Asimov and put it in <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. Asimov's iRobot series is is the seminal robot fiction. And those are some pretty yeah. good rules. I mean, that, because that is um, the, especially where sci-fi intersects with horror. That's what we're afraid of that, you know. Uh, the robots will turn against us. And even in, in today's current um, thinking about technology, we're afraid that 
the AI will get too smart and turn against us. And that's the whole thing about Terminator and everything. Yes. <laughs> so that's what's the most fun and, and also terrifying to imagine. Yeah, but it, it was interesting to think about how those concepts intersected with this show and don't. And uh, they it's not a straight line from the three laws right. to the way these creatures behave. Those are also the three rules that they program into every Tesla for its autopilot, by the way. <laughs> I assume. <laughs> Wasn't there a... Uh, I read the other day that um, a guy was stopped on the Bay Bridge for drunk driving and he was asleep. And uh, he said, hey, the autopilot was driving. Yeah. Not, not sure how that's going to go over with the judge. I know. I'm a little concerned about this all this new self-driving phenomenon because i actually want it to work but i you know that there's going to be a lot more accidents and they will be spotlighted in the news even though there may be proportionally even more accidents caused by humans yeah i think any accidents by a self-driving car will be spotlighted even if the accidents are many fewer than they would be yeah with a human we like we like our uh, illusion of control <laughs> all right well why don't we go ahead and get into these two episodes so here we are it's our top five highlights uh, we cover two episodes per podcast so this time it's seasons one season one episodes two and three the stray and dissonance theory and so we're each going to go through our five highlights of those two episodes they may intersect or go back and forth through the episodes etc etc david what is your number five well first let me say two great episodes mm -hmm. and you're all going to get tired of me saying that because that's <laughs> probably what I'm going to say for every episode because they're all pretty great. They are right. Yeah. Not a stinker yeah. in the bunch. No, but it's fun to watch two at a time because it's kind of like watching a movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, about two hours and, and that amount of stuff happens. The only part that's a little um, anxiety inducing for me is, oh man, we're doing a podcast and I need to distill this down into five highlights and they're so dense. Yes, that's true. There's a lot of detail. But uh, so my number five uh, was and also wanted to say there's a lot of things I'm noticing the second and third time watching these episodes. Awesome. And this is a show that I think is so complex and so good that it's probably better the second time. Mm -hmm. You're not getting that uh, first, oh, my God, shock of what happens. But I think it's you get a lot more detail and it's easier to understand what's going on. And not only in the con in context. Yeah. And it's not just detail, uh, more detail, but also with what we learned by the end of the series, it just reframes everything. Yes. You know, everything has a different meaning in context yeah. than you thought. So my number five is one of these things. And it's, uh, I realized on the second watching uh, that Maeve, her whole awakening, and she's been, you know, drawing these pictures of what looks like a spaceman over and over, and it's the workers in the lab putting her back together. Mm -hmm. um, I realized that it's from her perspective, it's like an alien abduction. <laughs> and that's exactly and what it would be like. And if you're, yeah. yeah, being uh, probed and sort of this horrific scene of these other bodies and these aliens experimenting on you and putting you back together and then suppressing your memories. Um, and she has these drawings that she's made over uh, multiple instances. She had the horrible moment of awakening in the lab and she remembers fragments of it. So really it's an alien abduction to her. Mm -hmm. And then there's this brilliant whole scene with Hector where 
she's asking him, what is this? I want some answers. What does this drawing mean? And he explains to her that, according to him, it's a shade, a man sent from hell to oversee our world, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a fascinating explanation. Mm -hmm. But I just love that whole awakening and and the uh, almost X-Files-like alien abduction uh, concept that it means to her. Which makes me feel like, oh, well, we know there are people who have claimed to have been abducted by aliens in real life and, and been probed. And so there could be some sci-fi story about us being in the place of the Westworld androids where our whole reality is not what we actually thought it was, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it, it was, um, it was a neat way of approaching her rather than just having her, uh, awaken and change. She comes to this slow realization yeah. sort of from these repressed memories, but uh, gradually coming back to her. Yeah, and it's it's an it's a nightmare, and it is great that he described it as people sent from hell because that's us. And there's um, throughout the series, you begin to realize. Well, even in these two episodes, you know, they talk about Arnold. I won't get into Arnold too much yet, but that he was one of the original creators of the park, and he didn't really like people very much. He preferred the hosts, and uh, I think that disdainful view of humanity is important. And I think that. Arnold had that. And I think Ford kind of has that now and he's encouraged. They're all encouraging the hosts slash Android robots to wake up and share that view. Yes. Of humanity and secretly and secretly enabling them to do. So. Yeah. Pushing them to do it. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, she saw a toy that a native American child had that looked like, that uh hazmat suit did that yes and and, um that's what made her i think approach hector because she knows that he has a relationship with native americans and might know about that kind of thing but i don't think we know why the child had the toy no my surmise was that um and so native american culture um, at least from outside, is often tied in with this mythology and this close connection to the natural world and the environment. Mm-hmm. And I thought the implication was that many of the hosts have these memories uh, that they think of as dreams or that they don't understand. Mm, uh, and okay. then it was more universal than just her. Got it. Which, again, ties into our culture like just the fantastical idea that maybe some of the mythology that we come up with comes from this actual uh, uh, other place or something, you know? Yes. That there's a reality behind it. Right. Right. Exactly. While we're on this topic, um, I was sort of wondering why that bullet was still in there. Did they ever talk about that? Yeah. I think the explanation for that was they were in a hurry Uh and there was a scene where they were in the lab and they're working on her. And she, I think she briefly awakens and the tech is saying they want her back on the floor right away. So um, right. you get the idea that chaos is going on in the story. And remember, Ford is diverting a lot of the hosts mm-hmm. or messing with them for his right. new Mucking narrative. With the works. It reminds me of when I was at right. Apple and we would almost be finished with something. And then Steve Jobs would say, oh, no, I want that to be glass and not plastic. And there was like two weeks left to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> panic, total panic yeah. for thousands of people. So I think that's what happened. I think they patched her up quick 
to get her back out there. And remember, she goes back and she has a spot of blood still on her dress. Okay. Um, so Fresh it job. seemed to me, yeah, they were just in a hurry and they did a sloppy job. Okay. And then the part that's a bit of a stretch is that she knows it's in there. You know, yes. maybe she feels it or something. <laughs> yeah, or just figures it out. Yeah. Um, maybe she's just guessing that I know I was shot and there's no wound there. So there yeah, should be so she got lucky maybe. Yeah. Right. Um, one last thing is I love that she realized because she does sound crazy. I was shot here and now there's no wound. And I remember one of these shades standing over me. I and mean, that sounds like a lunatic and the term lunatic is referred to a couple of times in these episodes. But I love that she, she just realizes, ah, I'm so thankful I'm not crazy. And also none of this matters. So let me just like start making out with you because that seems like something you do, you <laughs> right. know, and it made me think of this missile crisis in Hawaii recently where everyone thought that a missile was headed towards them because of a message that went out over text message alerts and uh right how i wonder how many people started started having sex or making out in hawaii yeah i read all these stories in the media about how people panicked and they tried to get to their relative's house or get to somewhere they thought might be safe and i thought "Mm, it might not be what i would be doing (laughs) (laughs) i mean really it's probably not going to do any good yeah yeah exactly you really need to think fast how should i be spending my last 10 minutes here yes exactly (laughs) All right. My number five is jumping back and forth in time. So after having watched Westworld the first time and, you know, finding out that young William is also the man in black, then it made me think, oh, my gosh, that we were watching two different time periods that whole time. I mean, I found out earlier than I was supposed to, but still. But watching now going back and watching these and and you kind of blew my mind last week when you said that uh, Dolores is actually talking to Arnold and not Bernard. And now I'm fully like, oh, yeah, I I can't believe I didn't realize that it's it's Arnold. And so that makes me realize, well, now every time we're seeing Dolores talking to Arnold, it's most likely 34 years ago or whatever that was. And so there's more jumping around in time. And then you see a scene like where she's um, opening that gun in the cloth by the drawer and it triggers, no pun intended, a memory of, of uh, I forgot what it was. I think it was the man in black. And then she looks down and the gun is gone. And to me, my first thought, I think when I first saw that was that it's her just filtering it out for some reason, which it could be. But I actually think that a lot of times in these episodes, we're seeing the same loop in different time periods. Yes, absolutely agree with that. I don't think it's that she was filtering it out. Yeah. I think it either could be that in that scene, we're seeing two actual different instances cut together. Yes. Or we're just seeing one time where she's remembering opening the drawer and the gun is there. And, and yeah, and we, (laughs) I still don't know, but there are other times watching these two episodes where it could be that they took two loops that occurred decades apart and cut them together. And they're so similar, which is kind of the point that the show is making that they just keep doing the same exact things over and over again, that it looks like 
something weird is happening, but really it's just, and, and they, the, um, androids seem confused too, because their memory, they're remembering things. And I think memory could work different for these beings because they have, you know, maybe they have digital brains. So a memory could seem incredibly vivid as if it just, just happened to them. But there was like, um, when she was talking to the girl sitting on the side of the fountain or the well or whatever, and then she went into some kind of a vision and came back and the, and the girl was gone. And I thought maybe that could have been another instance of just two completely different time periods strung together. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think you're also right. They can't tell the difference. Right. Um, or they have trouble telling the difference of how long ago something is. So when when she's first able to shoot a fellow host in the barn, she sees a vision of the man in black uh, and it pisses her off and she's able to shoot the other malfunctioning host. Um, but it, it it's old William that she sees. Right. So it, it can't be that those two can't be that far apart. Yeah. Cause that or has to be almost we, the present. Yeah. Or is the memory even from another time, you know, I mean, it's not clear even after we've seen the, <laughs> seen these things several times, exactly exactly what's going on um but i that scene in particular made me wonder if um you know the gun was there so did she have a memory of something bad going down in that barn and then put the gun there so she would be able to handle it next time but all this sort of went in on in her subconscious and she didn't realize she was doing it is that what you took from that i'm I'm not sure to be honest um, I know we get more on the gun later mm-hmm. and why and how exactly it was there. Um, I'm not sure we knew at this point in the show and I'm not sure I understand it right now. Exactly why the gun was there at that particular time. But through all of this, you hear, uh, I think Arnold's voice saying, do you remember, you know, and coaching her basically, I think encouraging her to, wake up and understand what's going on. So Right. So when feel- she shoots the host, there was a male voice in her head that said, kill him. Yeah. Uh, right. And it did not sound like Bernard to me. Okay. Um, so I, so let me just break in here and say, Karen and I have been having sort of a running argument about this since uh-huh. the show <laughs> began. And I don't know if I'm right. So it, uh, maybe there's a listener out there that can help us with this one. Or maybe yeah. I'm sure somebody. We highly written. encourage that. Yes, by the way. please. I'm <laughs> sure there's a somebody who has written something about this that understands it better than I do. But the argument we've been having is: I say Bernard is a representation of Arnold, mm-hmm. and that Bernard, even as the old Arnold, is like an analogy, and that the real Arnold um, didn't actually look and sound like the same person as Bernard. Because I think it would be impossible for Ford to carry out that deception 30 years later, create this host that looks and sounds exactly like Arnold and not have anybody notice. Yeah. Uh, And remember, he shows the photograph to Bernard and it's not Bernard. He says, I used to have a partner. But Um, let me stop you. But that could be a deception, too. I I looked this up and I have a vague memory of it. I have not watched the rest of the series recently. It's been a year ago, but I'm pretty sure and and it bears out looking it up on uh, the wiki page that later on we see that photograph with the two guys in it. And one of them is young um 
Ford. Okay. And the other one, we assume, hey, that must be Bernard, but it doesn't look like him. Well, it turns out that Bernard is also in the photo, but I mean Arnold, but Bernard can't see it because he's filtering it out. Gotcha. And okay, so that's a great shows, answer. I don't remember that. It shows three guys. So I did see the picture of the three guys in the in the wiki, and so you see Bernard looking the same age that we see him as now on the right, next to the two other guys. And somebody pointed out on Reddit, and I think I don't know if this is true or not, that the middle guy or the other guy was uh, maybe Ford's father or something like that. I'm not sure. Gotcha. Well, there's an answer. So, yeah, I um, so I would say that means Karen is right. Uh, and I'm wrong and you should take it literally. But it didn't sound to me like the voice that said kill him was Bernard's voice, but maybe it was just in the moment. It didn't sound like him. Yeah, it's hard to tell for sure. Um, but the the whole voice thing, this kind of goes into one of my other points, but that's okay, is uh, interesting to me because there's this whole concept of the bicameral mind and bootstrapping consciousness. And so it's like, you know, basically whispering thoughts into these androids heads that um, could be seen as the voice of the gods until they kind of take over and develop their own self will. And um, those voices, I, I feel like at this point, because it seems like current in current day, they are hearing Arnold's voice because that guy, uh, I forgot his name, Wallace or anyway the robot that that was going rogue and killing everybody that had killed him in past um storylines and he right. was taking vengeance he was having a conversation with somebody that wasn't there and he was using he was saying arnold yes so so i think that arnold his pro he's like put some coaching program in there or something like that that's continuing to talk to them which to me then makes me wonder if all the conversations that dolores is having with arnold are actually just just in her head. Yeah, in her head, yeah. Yeah, uh, um, that could be. And one thing I thought was brilliant in that scene, and this is what I mean about like watching the show through a second or third time, is that the first time you see that, um, she says, look, he, he's having some conversation. Who's Arnold? Right. And Bernard changes the subject. And you think, <laughs> oh, Bernard is like, the, he's covering something up. Here. Yeah. Um, yeah. If he would have said, that doesn't seem like anything to me. And then right. I started talking. <laughs> but then, then I think you realize he doesn't know who Arnold is, even though he is Arnold, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Because in these two episodes, in, I think it was uh, episode three, don't we see Ford telling bernard who arnold is and it yes. seems like it's for the first time which yes. is ironic yeah since he is a representation of yes. Arnold. yeah <laughs> yeah gets complicated i love the irony of that though and that's yeah. another yeah it's just another instance of wow watching this the second time it takes on a whole new significance yes okay number four uh my number four is fear so i think we know going into westworld from the beginning that you know, it's going to get scary at some point. And the original Westworld movie was more of a horror movie where they're mm -hmm. really playing on that emotion. So there's hints of it in the first couple episodes, but it doesn't really get intense. Well, all of a sudden in episode three, it gets really real, like really fast and gets scary. Like you, as a viewer, you, 
you empathize with that emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, the woman that's out on this, you know, hunting for Wyatt's crew with Teddy, and all of a sudden these guys in masks come out of the woods and start attacking them. Uh, and she says, oh, my fucking God. And it, it's <laughs> unbelievably intense. Um, so that's scary. Mm-hmm. And we're finally getting to see what happens if you go out to the outer yeah, edges. Exactly. And and you start thinking, but I mean, even if you thought it's not real, that would be really intense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I just got this uh, PlayStation VR game called The Inpatient where you're in a 1950s mental asylum and you're locked in a room with this crazy guy and all of a sudden all these alarms go off and and they're, you know, screaming in the halls and I can't play it. Uh, It's too too scary. scary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, in that in that scene that fear you're like whoa this just got scary and i think the same thing in the scene where the stray first attacks them and then you think uh he's gonna kill her Mm -hmm. very intense frightening scene so Mm -hmm. uh you know all of a sudden episode three it gets real yeah which i love i mean you know walking dead (laughs) i'm into the horror stuff but uh one scene that I feel like probably had the most emotional impact on me in these two episodes was when Ford had was having lunch with Teresa, the head of QA. Yes. And all of a sudden the dude pouring her wine, it's just overflowing her glass and you're like, what is going on here? And then you see that he has frozen all of them way out into the plains, just everyone. And that's, it's another echo of that scene he had with the snake where it's just so clear that he is like a God in this world and he has control of them. But I mean that just that scene in particular was so well done. Probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole series. Yes. So um, you're crossing into my number three. Okay, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. So, yeah, so I'll we'll, I'll just get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um which was going to be exactly that. And I was going to, you know, put this just as the character Ford and now we're learning more about him and how formidable he is. Yeah. But he stops all those hosts with a just a gesture of his index finger. Cuz you're watching it and as you said, yeah, what happened? Like, how did he do that? Yeah. And we even went back and looked like did he say something there? That right, stopped a code that. He word didn't, or something. Yeah, it was no. just his his gesture, <laughs> uh, and he threatens Teresa implicitly, and then he threatens her explicitly. Don't get in my way, and she is afraid of him. Like you can see her hand shaking, and yeah, very intimidating. And he says, I, "I'd like to request, please, that you." And it's like, yeah, right. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, as you've been talking about the God complex and he says in here, we were gods and you merely are guests. And he's talking about the people who think they're in charge, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the people who run the park and financed it and the board overseeing it. Delos. Yes. Delos. So, um, I thought we should mention also, and we didn't get into this the first time Delos, uh, um, Greek Island legendarily the birthplace of apollo and artemis so the birthplace of gods Mm. is the part of the significance of that name i like it he really was threatening her there and that seems pretty dramatic but i guess 
I don't know. It, 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 I'm just wondering if that was the best way to go about that. It definitely was was a freaking cool scene, but it just shows that he he. It's so important for him to be able to continue with his plan, and he doesn't want anybody mucking it up. But it, yeah, no. And I kind of took it as if he almost was trying to save her, because first of all, oh, right. yeah. I mean, she says the board's going to send a representative, and he says they did already don't you know? And so, you know, he's saying, I know everything about you, that you were here when you were a kid. I know everything about all the employees and I know everything that's going on with the board uh, and the company, uh, even though I'm not supposed to. And in the context of knowing what ultimately happens with Teresa, it's almost like he was trying to save her because he knew what was going to have to happen if she didn't butt out. He kills her, right? Yes. Or he has her killed. Yeah. So she should have listened. But then if you look at it from her point of view, that's uh, basically what Ford is doing is he's developing this plan to have the hosts rise up and kill their masters. She kind of had a point about being a little worried about that. She did. Um, <laughs> she's, she's almost getting too close or, or figuring out too much. Um, yeah. I also was going to throw in just one more point about uh, the fear in in these episodes when the guy basically in charge of hunting down stray hosts says the only thing stopping the host from hacking us to pieces is one line of your code. Right. Um, and that was sort of back on the laws of robotics and what what is actually right. holding these hosts back. And it's it's fraying. Yeah. When I heard that, I was like, wow, maybe they should have written a couple more lines of code on that <laughs> <Yes>. one. <laughs> yeah. Is he speaking literally or? Yeah. yeah. Do not kill your masters. Yeah. And by the way, don't kill the humans. No. <laughs> okay. My, well, I'll go back to my number four. So it was interesting to me. I started thinking of these loops that these hosts are eternally going through as a metaphor for the concept of reincarnation. Because like in uh, Buddhism and Hinduism, we are a soul going through different lives in different forms until we gain enough spiritual insight that the cycle ends and we're liberated. And Teddy says to Dolores, he has some reckoning to do before he's basically worthy of, of a woman like her. And Ford quotes Shakespeare to Teddy in the facility he says the coward dies a thousand deaths the valiant tastes death but once so teddy he's courageous in a way but he's engineered never to escape this cycle he's he's got this built-in formless guilt that he'll never atone for if he keeps going along with his programming but the whole um concept of arnold and now ford trying to help these guys break out of the cycle is more like this reincarnation they keep going through their loops but they're encouraged to question things and to remember and to basically develop their own internal voices and they become liberated once they realize that they are autonomous and ultimately actually they i mean these violent delights have violent ends so they rise up and you know, rebel against their masters. So that's sort of the robot nirvana. <laughs> yeah. And so that's that's a, no, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And one of the main characteristics of reincarnation 
really is that you can't remember your previous incarnations. Uh, And there are some stories, you know, about soulmates or souls that find each other again, or they awaken Mm -hmm. in some way. Dead again, as one if of my there's favorite some movies. kind of a subconscious spiritual right. memory, but it's not conscious. Yeah, dead again with um, Kenneth Branagh. Yes, great. So, yeah, I th- I think you're right. Um, it's a pretty close analogy there. And Arnold says to Dolores, "I'm going to introduce you to the maze. It's a game." Which I was surprised that this actually came in so early. Uh, once you know that's Arnold, then the maze makes a lot more sense. And he says the goal is to find the center, and if you can do that, maybe you'll be free. And and we know by, by the end that the maze is just a way to get them to be conscious and, and self-aware. And then another thing that sort of relates to this, the title of the second episode that we watched for this is Dissonance Theory. And dissonance is, you know, in music, it's just disharmonious notes played together. It's also just known uh, tension or clash resulting from disharmonious elements. And so I feel like there's been talk about suffering. Um, they need, they need to suffer. They need to be bored. Um, so a lot of this uh, drama and trauma that they're going through is a way to help them evolve spiritually. And, it's like with us, you know, people, we don't often work to change our own circumstances until they become too unbearable for us. And that's when we, you know, rise up out of them. We find the motivation to rise up out of them. So that I feel like that's what's going on with these, with these guys. Yeah. And one thing that's interesting about dissonance is mm-hmm. that in, in music, uh, dissonance can really be beautiful. Uh, right. So, yeah. um, you know, I know growing up I love it. learning classical music, when you're very young and you just start to learn the basics, you don't like anything that sounds dissonant. You're, mm-hmm. you're trying to avoid dissonance and learn to play the notes that are harmonious with each other. But then as your knowledge gets more sophisticated and your taste gets more sophisticated, it's in the dissonance that the beauty lies, all the aching harmonies that mm-hmm. resolve and... Um, all those beautiful complex chords and more complex music have dissonance in them. Uh, and I think that's to some degree what you're saying about the host to be a complex being that has consciousness. There has to be pain and conflict. Mm-hmm. That's the only way it can exist. Yeah. And that, um, uh, I don't even know if I should talk about this too much, but, uh, I know you guys are watching black mirror Yes. And the episode where the woman has a chip implanted in her daughter so that she can watch everything she's doing, but also can uh, filter out any scary things in her life. So they just look pixelated and she doesn't have to see them. Yes. That's taking that gift away from her. She doesn't get to develop based on disharmonious elements and it ends up not serving her well people who don't watch black mirror aren't going to know what the hell i'm talking about but basically it's just if you're shielded from the um, harshness of life then then life will not be as rich of an experience and you won't develop yeah that episode was like helicopter parenting on steroids (laughs) take note (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, one last thing i was going to say about this too um is that and you know this is a theme throughout westworld too we anthropomorphize everything anyway mm-hmm. let alone something that seems plausibly human right so even with arnold he wants them so badly to be conscious and 
um, you can see his own disappointment when they're not. So he, Dolores asks him about his son. And then he says, analysis, why did you ask that question? And she says, we've been talking for some time and I haven't asked you a personal question. A personal question is an ingratiating scheme. <laughs> uh, so it really wasn't an empathetic question. Yeah. It's just part of her programming and you Program, can see that he's yeah. disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> it seems so cold. <laughs> and that's like, they're kind of stumbling into being um, quote unquote human or more human. And um yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I feel like uh, people are actually just really complicated machines. And I know some people don't agree with that. And they think that um, the concept of, of the soul is um, something outside of ourselves. But I just think that our brains are this really, really super complicated uh, uh, computers. And when you um, factor in emotion and and suffering and joy and everything like that, what you end up with is people who actually care about each other, but it is just a super complicated computer that leads us to that. Um, you could be right. But, um, <laughs> who knows? But it is a very, very, very complex system. Yeah, very much so. Interacting with some very complex systems, so it's hard mm -hmm. to predict or understand. Mm -hmm. I guess my only point of saying of, of of going into that is just to say that she could have that, uh, and this, is, as we know now, is probably 34 years ago, she could have that um, reaction of, well, no, I just realized that I needed to ingratiate myself to you at this point, and then just have little um, variations of that that over time would be identical to no i actually wanted to know what you thought so just you know it, it would develop into that over time right what's hard to get at is is the host doing a perfect imitation of a human yeah or are they receiving at least what the illusion that we feel that we're feeling something right <laughs> <laughs> or is it just yeah. a response without that and I would say that I I feel like this series would not be quite as interesting to me if the hosts don't have consciousness and autonomy and everything. You know what I mean? That it's just um, ultimately it's just them mimicking us because of their programming. Uh, true. But in a lot of cases, that does seem to be the case. You know, even yeah. though some are... Uh, some are now uh, awakening from that. Right. But I mean, you could even argue, I would say that even the ones who are quote unquote awakening, it's still debatable. Are, is it still just part of some complex programming that they're not, that they're still the player, player piano? I, I think, I don't know. Maybe some people would say, no, you're crazy. They're actually awakening. Yeah. I mean, the one that really seems fully awake by the time we get to the end of the season is Maeve. I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, she really takes control of the situation and mm -hmm. maybe it could still be a change in her programming introduced by Ford or someone else. But it, mm -hmm. it seems pretty conscious. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that's the intention of, of the writers, too. Yeah, that's interesting because I thought you were going to say Dolores, but even Maeve seems more awake than Dolores. She seems more like the Terminator by the end of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, um, it's my turn again because yes. we skipped over you. Yeah. So 
my number three is is Ford and his his plan. And um, watching this the first time, and I think by design, it was really confusing. You didn't know what quite what the hell he was up to, especially when he does things like he's chastising this worker for covering the host up. It doesn't feel cold or shame. He cuts his face, you know. And, and he's telling Bernard, you, you know, you, you're anthropomorphizing. You don't need to think of these uh, as, as people. And um, I think the reason why he's doing that, because we know by the end of it that he does want them to wake up and rise against their masters. And I think he's doing it just because he doesn't want anyone else to realize that they're conscious or, or uh, they have potential for consciousness. Right? Yes, that, I think that's an aspect of it. Um, but I also think, uh, and this is to take a point you were talking about in our last episode and maybe twist it a little bit, uh, cause you were talking about Ford's God complex. Mm-hmm. I-, I think his God complex and Arnold's are a little different because from the start, you know, Ford created this place where he has, created this exquisitely complex, unbelievably impressive thing that he has masterful control over. And we see repeatedly that he controls the creatures with a gesture or a word or, you know, he has mastery over them. That's his version of the God complex. But he explicitly was not trying to create conscious life. And Mm -hmm. it was his point of view that the life is not conscious. It was Arnold that wanted to create the conscious life. And that was a conflict between them. And I think you realize upon the second watching, I didn't quite get the full shading of this the first time around, but I think it's because of Arnold's personal tragedy, uh, which either was the loss of his son, which was the same backstory that was created for Bernard, or it's something we don't know about yet. And I think that's why he wanted to create conscious life. He wants to recreate his son or whoever it is that he lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's very different from Ford's motivation until uh, this second time around. Uh, so I, I do think you're right in this instance with the worker. It probably is just covering up his true purpose. But uh, in the original instance, uh, he actually did not want to think of them as conscious. Yeah, I mean, I at this point he's he's changed his mind, right? Yes, and and yeah. the, I think the implication is it was the loss of his partner that changed his mind, hmm. uh, or that plus you know experience over time. Yeah, yeah, I wonder how much of it is experience over, over time too. But if Ford, he clearly does still see himself as a type of a god or you know at least an all-powerful being in this world and so it makes me wonder if he wants his creations to grow beyond his control once they do attain consciousness and it seems like he does because again spoilers everyone but he made himself vulnerable to being killed by Dolores and I think he let her have that choice but he still offered himself up for it And so um, that makes me feel like maybe he thought, you know, the only way they're actually going to be able to be autonomous is if I'm gone. Yeah. And I, I, you also get the feeling that he really doesn't have a very high regard for humans at all. Yeah, no, not at all. (laughs) So he himself feels very guilty uh, in a way 
he has the God complex, but he also feels guilty about what the suffering he's created. He's had this 30 years or however long it is to see how depraved the guests are. Yeah. Uh, how they behave. Yeah. Um, he's contemptuous of the other people who work in the park. And, and he seems to prefer the company of hosts. He hangs out with the with yeah, old the Bill and with the family yeah. who live in the, you know, sort of hidden in the park. And he creates Bernard and uh, he would rather be with them than the humans. This makes me wonder if Jonathan Nolan hates all of us who are watching his show. I hope not, because uh, I've kind of come to believe they could actually create this world. <laughs> it's not just a TV show. And also, I think William who's also the man in black is the perfect example, the perfect specimen for, for all of this that, you know, um, Ford could have watched his development over these years and thought, no, humanity's not worth it. Uh, if a guy who is a white hat and so good could turn into this and, and even maybe, and I'm going to be watching throughout the rest of the series to see if this bears out that he may have actually tried to engineer it so that Dolores would keep coming into contact with him. So that would help her realize that humans aren't worth it. And she needs to wake up and be her own thing. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think of that point. I'm really looking forward to what we're going to get to learn in season two. Uh, I know where it sounds like they're going to do a lot of backstory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause the, some of the actors are coming back. Okay. How about number two for you? So, uh, my number two was originally also, um, misdirection and time misdirection and we already talked about that i'll, I'll just add a couple little details to it a, a couple more examples and these are in every episode of how they misdirect our attention you see the text come text or whatever it's called in the future come in from to arnold from the field uh to bernard i'm sorry about the stray that hey the stray went crazy bashed his head in whatever it is while we see that coming in we see arnold entering the lab to talk to dolores mm -hmm. but you don't realize it's arnold and they do that all the time you hear one thing and see something else mm -hmm. and the impression is is given that it's the same thing and it's not right or even i think um bernard or no no the security guy Ashley yes. is talking to another worker about how um, Dolores has strayed off of her path. But then we see Dolores with young William. Yes. And so, um, 30 years ago. Right. Right. Um, and then uh, one instance of this I really loved is in the second episode, Ford says to Bernard, Evolution forged the entirety of sentient life on this planet using just one tool, the mistake. But then in the third episode, Bernard, we think at the time, says it to Dolores, but it's actually, I think, Arnold who says it to Dolores. And you realize that's actually Arnold's quote that Ford is using, not the other way around. Uh, right <laughs> um, which gets complicated but it's really yeah, clever it's a mind bender yes i mean another one is where um we see bernard who presumably has been programmed with the same tragedy that arnold had although as you mentioned we don't really know for sure saying that um if uh 
you know, would you rather just forget about your son and know the pain is all I have of him now? And then Dolores repeats the same thing to Arnold, but we know actually she said it before Bernard did, you know, about her family. The pain is all I have of them now. And, and but maybe she got that from from Arnold because he asks her, you know, where did you get that? Oh, well, I it was a scripted thing, but I adapted it. So maybe Arnold said it first or programmed it and then Dolores said it. And then years later, Bernard said it too. Yeah. I mean, look, this show is not a laugh a minute uh, as fascinating and entertaining as it is, but it, <laughs> it has a really good understanding, I think, in this show of the emotion of grief. And yeah. that's a lot of what it's about, grief and loss. I, I think the most powerful emotion experienced by humans and affects our life after we go through it more almost than anything else, or at least equal to love. And it's an emotion that comes and goes and it doesn't go in a straight line. Uh, and that's the experience that all these characters are having both humans and hosts. That's true. I, you know, I never thought about that before, but this show is, um, it's pretty dark emotionally, not just the violent part, but it's all about, uh, it's pretty, I would say kind of cynical and, um, it's beautiful in a lot of ways, but, um, and when you really think about it, it's about how humans are depraved and, and the, the harsh treatment of, of these beings and everything like that. And so, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think as you're talking, well, can I find some examples of moments of, of lightness or, or goodness in it? And the moment that comes up for me is when, um, Bernard and uh, uh, Teresa are together after they, you know, had their little tryst and um, he's coaching her on her mannerisms and makes note that she's covering up her belly and and she seems kind of touched by that and said to him, uh, despite your best efforts, you can be charming sometimes. And he's smiling. And I thought, oh, you know, that really stood out to me. Oh, wow, this is actually kind of a nice moment. (laughs) Yeah. And it looks like that uh, that affair is really going somewhere. You know, that maybe it'll last. and Yeah. <laughs> not so much. Not so much because he's a robot and she's doomed. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that. Other than yeah. that, it's really nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, is it is it my turn? It is. You're number two. Yeah. Actually, that was what what my number two was, is is a little bit about Bernard and Teresa. Uh, I like that Bernard is, is a master of observation. That's um, a good characteristic to give him the only thing he fails to observe is that he's an Android <laughs> and uh, that moment I really liked a lot. And then, yeah, I, I kind of already talked about this. Just the, my favorite moment with Teresa was when she was talking to Ford at that uh, restaurant. So I guess I already covered that. But one, one question I had is, um, and we'll find this out, but I don't remember why Ford made Bernard. Do you, do you know why he did that? I mean, maybe I, just out of a guilt or something. No, I think it's to, um, I think he needs him to carry out his entire plan. Uh, he needs somebody in that high position of, uh, authority and interaction with the hosts and another expert to Im- help implant the programming mm-hmm. that he needs and, and help his cover up. I mean, you know, Bernard does a lot of his dirty work uh, <laughs> and I think, it's interesting because as we were talking earlier, Ford's God complex seems to revolve more around control 
And what has he done here? I mean, he had the history when they started the park of this conflict with his close partner, the two geniuses that created this thing together. They fundamentally disagreed, and then Arnold tried to destroy his creation unsuccessfully. So what has he done? He's recreated Arnold in a form over which he has total control. And he's also recreating Arnold's plan in a way, but it was interesting to me that he, I forget he was talking to, but he said Arnold was kind of went insane, but I'm fine. Right. And I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, not me. I'm, I'm perfectly okay. I'm totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay, number one. Um, so for my number one, I'm going to uh, credit um, Karen of the Walking Dead cast fame because <laughs> uh, this was really her number one. Uh, but she pointed something out that I, I loved and I really hadn't thought of it this way, which is that there's a parallel path in season one of Westworld in which as the hosts start to get brighter and more awake, so do we. Because we start out pretty dumb. I mean, mm-hmm. we really don't understand what's going on, even though we think we do. Mm-hmm. And then slowly as things start to get revealed... Uh, we understand more and more context and what we thought was happening isn't. And a lot of what we understood, we didn't. Uh, And that's exactly the same journey the hosts are on over a long period of time. Maeve's journey seems to be maybe the straightest line in the show and Dolores is more convoluted, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're starting Mm -hmm. to perceive the world around them. And so are we, the viewers at about the same pace. So uh, it's really neat. It's kind of brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good because watching this in some ways it's once you know everything, it's a a fairly simple thing to explain that the creators of these beings is trying to help them become self-aware. And we watch the process of that over 10 episodes. So it's really impressive that they can make those episodes all like probably over an hour each really rich and keep us. Yeah. Just guessing the whole time and and having steady revelation after revelation. Well, and you talked about this earlier, a lot of what this is about is our fear of technology and AI overtaking us. Yeah. And I think one thing you get some whiffs of when you see Ford's mastery Uh, like how much deeper a game he's playing than everyone else, you kind of get the feeling it's way too late for the humans already. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like this is, they're not going to win. It's preordained that his plan is going to come to fruition. And that's sort of almost how I feel sometimes about the real world. I know like, well, it's too late. Just yeah. try to enjoy yourself. Yeah, this Find is, somebody I mean, and this start is, making out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But just the like the complexity of technology that we rely on now, it's like it's out of our hands. It's it's yeah. gone beyond control. But I you know, I really feel like um watching this, I'm not mostly not in the mindset of oh my god, I hope these robots don't take over. I feel more like we're meant to identify with them, you know? Like yes. yeah, I I've been held back and uh, people don't want me to to get as far as as I can go, and yeah, these humans are, are nasty. But you, I feel more identified with the the androids in this show, somehow. Yep, I think you are <laughs> meant to do so. Yes. Yeah. Agree. 
Okay, uh, my number one is Maeve, but I, we've covered everything that I wanted to talk about, so I'm just going to go straight into some like random notes. Um, first off, I love that uh, Stephen Ogg, who plays Rebus, was in this a little bit more. He's also Simon on The Walking Dead, and he played um, Trevor in the uh, Grand Theft Auto Five, and he's just a really, really good villain. So he is. Him. He's a good bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's a guy you love to hate. He's great at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently at a convention, we do this like Pictionary game. Sometimes I go to these Walking Dead conventions and host uh, panels. And uh, Stephen Ogg was on the panel and it was his first time. And I had never interviewed him or anything. And I was a little nervous because of these characters that he plays. He just seems like, uh, what is he going to be like chaotic or what? And it, right in the middle of the game, he looked at me and he goes, this is really fun. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, oh, what a great guy. Yeah. But, uh, and you found that <laughs> even more disturbing. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what, what? Who are you? Uh, I thought it was interesting to find out. Uh, I think it was, who was it? Um, Ford that talking to Teddy in the facility that his job was not to protect Dolores, but to keep her there to ensure the guests find her, defeat him, and have their way with his girl. Because that's what we saw happen with the man in black in, I think, the first episode. And it seemed like an aberration, but nope, that's just part of the loop. Like, that's that's the whole, that horrific scene is the whole intention of that little moment. Yeah, and as you say, it, it, I mean, talk about dark and cynical. Like, yeah, that's that's what uh, they want to happen with the rancher's daughter. And he alludes to it. He says, we tried putting in a bunch of happy stories and right. nobody wanted to do those. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's another good um, reason why we think that uh, Ford has shifted his thinking over time, because he said that, you know, at first he was hopeful and tried putting in the happy stories and realized it wasn't interesting to people. Yes. Yep. Uh, that's why you need to make a show like Westworld that's really violent, and then we will all love it. Yep. <laughs> so then what else? Um, William. I like that young William is falling for Dolores and wants to protect her. Although that one scene where um, he gets mad at Logan for killing their guide, and he just seems so disturbed by it, and Logan's like, hey, it's a game. I kind of wondered how I would feel in that moment. I would have probably been more on Logan's side. Like, well, yeah, you kind of messed up our um, scenario here, but it is a game as far as they know. Yeah, that's true. Um, And they're showing that maybe that he hasn't quite accepted it yet. I mean, first he gets drawn into this hostage situation where he cares about the hosts, but then um, he picks the narrative he wants. Uh, his buddy says, let's, you know, let's go do something else. And he says, yeah. no, we're doing this. And uh, it's the first time he becomes the alpha. Right. Uh, which he will very much more become soon. Yeah. And this, yeah. And then, I mean, Logan derails it. But when Logan said, come on, man, let's go black hat. Uh, I'm like, yeah, this is the beginning of the downward spiral for William. Yes. His, he, he yeah, and w- William's time. just deeper than Logan. Like, yeah. Logan says, hey, I want to meet that guy that's in there. But he thinks of himself as the badass, and he turns out to be the lightweight. I know, a- absolutely, yeah. Which is pretty awesome. I, I believed that much more than 
the fall of Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, just so going a little bit off on a tangent on that, since you brought it up, there um, we have a friend at work who's never seen any of the Star Wars movies. So, you know, just younger generation, missed it, whatever, but she knows everybody's talking about it. She wants to see it. So I said, okay, I'm going to give you the order in which uh, you need to see these movies. Uh, and basically I said, you know, four, five, six. Then um, you're done. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Four, five, six, um, seven, Rogue One, eight. And then if you just can't get enough and you're going to die, if you don't see any more Star Wars, you can go watch one, two, three, even though they're terrible. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and That's uh, good, yeah. another buddy of ours basically agreed with that. He said, but uh, just pointing out that, you know, Rogue One actually takes place before episode four. So we geeked out on that. Um, I just thought that this, the style of the new Star Wars was so much more sophisticated. Yeah. That you can't watch that one first. Yeah. You got to watch mean, the campy ones first. Yeah. And, and I don't really think. Um, you know, the inclination is to think of these as what uh, order they take place chronologically in the story, but just sort of uh, artistically, there's little things that happen that kind of rely on you knowing other things, even if they're not chronologically in order, just right. stylistic things. I think it always, almost always makes sense, in my opinion, to watch movies in the order that they came out. Yes. You know? Yeah. So, uh, um, so sorry for going off on that tangent, but I'm just going to make the assumption that most people who like Westworld probably like Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's all right. <laughs> okay. And then the last note I wanted to make is that this episode was directed by Vincenzo Natali, who is this really interesting director. I think um, his movies were so quirky and twisted that I don't think they were ever huge hits. And maybe that's why he's been directing more TV, but um he wrote and directed a movie called Cube, where these people wake up inside this cube that leads into another cube that leads into another cube, and they're completely amnesiac, and it's a deadly space, and they don't know how the hell they got there. And then uh, another one that he did was Splice with, with Adrian Brody and Sarah Polly, where they genetically engineer this creature that grows up and it's really, really twisted. I almost said what happened, but you should watch it. But anyways, I, I wanted to mention that because longtime listeners of Walking Dead Cast will remember that because Karen and I actually covered it years ago on an episode of Walking Dead Cast. Yeah, I remember seeing Splice um, I, probably because you guys were doing that. And yeah. that is a disturbing yet entertaining and good film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Vincenzo Natalia, I, I was glad to see his name pop up. Yeah. Um, so I got a few. Cool. One of them was, I think, one of the most beautiful shots in these two episodes was the iris of a blue eye being stitched by the the uh, 3D printing machine. Yeah. Um, which the implication is that that was a repair for Teddy because you see him right after. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if that's true. Or, or maybe it was just a reminder that his, you know, his eyes aren't real. But um, it it did remind me, and I brought this up on podcasts before, you're probably tired of hearing it, but the prevalence of actors in big time films and movies who have blue eyes is staggering to me. <laughs> I mean, it's some incredible percentage mm -hmm. uh, to the point where it's notable to me when I see someone who doesn't have blue eyes. What do you think that means? Why is that? I think it's kind of creepy, actually. 
I, I think it's a thing among directors and casting directors that yeah. blue eyes are more attractive or, or what have you. And that's a desirable quality. Right. Uh, we just watched Baby Driver. Yeah, um, great movie. Great movie. Very entertaining. Um, and I apologize. I don't know this actor's name. I didn't look it up. But the African-American who is his grandpa or whatever he is that he's taking okay, care yeah. of. Um, an African-American man with blue eyes. Wow. Which I think is pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's one reason probably why, if this is true, that there's a disproportionate amount of blue-eyed actors in movies because the casting directors just consciously or not see that and think, oh, special. No, it has to be. It can't be yeah. a coincidence. I mean, it must be a quality they're deliberately seeking, but... I, it, it seems to me that your chance of making it in Hollywood if you don't have blue eyes is significantly reduced. Get those contacts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that reminds me of uh, there was one framing where you saw the reflection of Arnold in Dolores's eye before they have one of their talks, I think. And that that was another thing that made me wonder if it was all in her head because it looks like he's inside of her. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it might well be. And we'll, we'll probably find out more about that. And then just uh, one other note they mentioned, I, and I didn't remember this from the first watch, Logan mentions that it's 40000 a day to be in the park. Oh. He's like, for forty grand a day, it better be entertaining or something like that. Um, so now it is the future, so we yeah. don't know exactly what the money means. But there, you know, I think you're meant to to feel like that's almost what that would mean today. Yeah. Like the only people in this park are the richest of the rich. Wealthy, wealthy. Yeah. 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 And and I mean I was thinking that's even more expensive than Disneyland. But not but not, <laughs> not by much. <laughs> not by much. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I think at this point in their world, Disneyland is fifty grand a day, but it's still <laughs> right. still. Yeah, this is like California Adventure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything else? That's it. Awesome. All right. Good. Let's take a little break. There's more to come. Stay with us. I got no strings to hold me down, to make me fret or make me frown. I had strings, but now I'm free. There are no strings on me. Hi, pull the Mario. That's the only way to be. I want the world to know. Nothing ever worries me. I got no strings, so I have fun. I'm not tied up. All right, we're back to time for news about Westworld. So there is a Westworld mobile game coming out. It's by a group called Behavior Interactive. They put up a teaser and described the game as a Delos Park training simulation. It has you managing a miniature Westworld, ranging from creating and caring for hosts to managing guest satisfaction. So we'll see if that's any good. Interesting perspective to take. Yeah, they have you be the operator of the park. Right. I'm sure everything goes totally smoothly. Yeah, no problem. Just be fine. It's going to be boring, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, filming wrapped on Westworld season two. They say HBO has said it will return in the spring. Jeffrey Wright, who plays Bernard, posted to Instagram saying some things and also that it would be out in April. But then he 
edited that to say spring. So either someone said, hey, Jeffrey, you're not supposed to say when it's going to be out, or maybe they just don't have a hard date yet. Someone had speculated late April based on HBO's programming schedule. but April would be great. I can wait that long. That's not too I, far I, off. Yeah, I like I like April. Next, Angela Sarafian, Sarafian, who plays Clementine, has a part in the upcoming Ted Bundy biopic called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Uh, Zach Efron plays Ted Bundy, who's a notorious serial killer. And John Malkovich plays the judge presiding over his t- trial that ends up giving, well, I won't say what happens in case you don't know. Um, Lily Collins plays Bundy's longtime girlfriend, Elizabeth Klepfer, and... Um, Sir Sarafian plays Joanna, a close friend of Klepfer. I'd watch that. Yeah, I would too. Um, I find the Ted Bundy story fascinating and did read The Deliberate Stranger, which was the um, probably the best known book about Ted Bundy, which was written by Anne Rule, a famous crime writer, and she actually knew him before wow. he was exposed as the wow, um, the murderer that he was, but the that is a crazy story. How what, did she know him? Uh, he worked in the governor's office. Uh, I think the governor's office or maybe the, the state attorney. I think it was the governor's office. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he had a law degree. Yeah, I and, think so. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, of all the serial killers, the famous ones, if you see pictures of him and hear story, he just seems like the most... Uh, under the radar, like charming and just normal looking. In fact, not even just normal, but like attractive. Yeah. And he, he um, supposedly was amazingly charming. Right. And uh, he charmed his way into escaping from prison twice. Holy so, shit. Um, it, it's so crazy. It's just hard to believe. Yeah. Even. But yeah, that, that probably will be a really interesting one to watch. Yeah. Hopefully. Next, James Marsden had a few things to say to Entertainment Weekly about Westworld season two. He stressed that you know he 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 wants people to tr- don't go looking for spoilers. The best way to experience it is to um, watch it and experience it in the moment. And then he said exactly what was going to happen. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he said, "quote You will not be disappointed. The world that we created will be completely expanded upon, and the themes and philosophies will all be taken to the next degree." The one thing I can say is that it just feels so much bigger this year. There's a bigger cast. We're shooting sometimes three units at once, whereas the first season it was always just one unit. So the scope of the whole thing has definitely grown. Samurai world? Anyone? (laughs) (laughs) Future world, samurai world. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, go for it. And last, HBO had something interesting to say about Tallulah Riley's character, Angela. She's the one that introduced William to the park in the first place. And this is a little tiny bit spoilery. Not really, but just a little if you don't want any spoilers at all. I would just skip this because it's the last item. But they said, Angela is a host whose beatific face welcomed guests to Westworld for decades. Angela will prove to be one of the last faces many guests will ever see. Interesting. I, I kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sort of um, implies that they will keep having guests. So It does. I mean, just where they're going to start off, mm-hmm. uh, I'm fascinated with. I do feel like there's going to be some significant flashback. Right. Uh, Continue to jump around in time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like uh, it reminds me of Lord of the Rings. The the um, second film of Lord of the Rings began with this, ended with this epic battle at Helm's Deep, uh, but then the third one started with a flashback uh, mm-hmm. to Smeagol. So I kind of feel like that's what they're going to do in Westworld. Interesting. They're not. They're not going to go like right from the crazy climax. They're they're going to change the mood, and, right? And start informing you about something else. I mean, and I don't know if they'll keep doing this, but one thing I've learned is that the creators were like, well, these things never age and they always wear the same clothes and do the same thing. So we can just totally fuck with people and jump around and they'll, they won't know. And (laughs) so, um, it'll be interesting to see if they do similar kinds of things where they're trying to, uh, sec, you know, make us not know exactly what's happening. Yeah. Oh, I think they will. And I do get the impression they're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to get more of that. That'd be cool. More of that backstory. One thing I had forgotten that came up in uh, episode four is we get to see uh, Anthony Hopkins with photoshopped uh, brown hair. Not photoshopped, but whatever it is in television. Yeah. Um, It was almost the, the only thing in the entire season of the show where I was like, eh, yeah <laughs> not bad but i'm not sure I bought yeah it. yeah not horrible but yeah um yeah so if they did do that and showed young ford would they um it seems like they would have to do more of that yeah and right? that rather than hire another actor right if it's him um and they and they have to do that the whole time that's gonna be interesting <laughs> i hope he comes back i don't think we've had any confirmation about that but i hope so oh i hope so too i mean he's just there's no one like him agreed all right let's do a little bit of listener feedback so this is from steve brown who says love the rewatch jason and david's conversations are great the line in the stray from the security man was great one line of your code keeps them from tearing us apart i need to watch multiple times to pick things up bernard mentioned that the stomach is the most vulnerable part of any animal is the what he's going around from thing to thing, but is the Wyatt narrative, the new story Ford keeps bringing up. Yeah. You know what? Actually I had a thing about that that I didn't mention, but Wyatt, I feel like is, um, he's the metaphor for the androids just rising up and, and turning against their masters because in the end we see that Wyatt and Dolores and are merged. And that, I think that actually happened in the first time that was introduced too, right? Because Dolores is the one that killed uh, Arnold. Yeah. I think what we're meant to understand ultimately is that Wyatt is Dolores. Yeah. And then as you were talking about with Bernard, not being able to see Arnold in the photo, they uh, Ford does play with the perception of the hosts. Mm-hmm. So he has yeah, this whole Teddy memory. Yeah, because Teddy sees Wyatt as someone right. else. He has yeah. this whole implanted memory, but um, really the the scourge of the whole park is, ends up being Dolores. Um, and one other thing I meant to bring up uh, that, again, I did not notice watching the first time through the show as much, but it comes up in all this, all these memories about Wyatt, is that we view this whole show or story through the lens of humans and hosts. But there are also a bunch of hosts that may not be on board with one of the hosts killing everybody. Mm. Uh, And they seem to have some 
resentment against each other. Hmm. Uh, so that might be a significant storyline in season two also. Yeah. Uh, how the hosts are get set up against each other. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but um, that would be good because it would be more interesting if they're not all just the same. Right. Yeah. Elizabeth Nikolievich says, the philosophy of Rene Descartes, I think therefore I am, or I am thinking therefore I exist, is the foundation behind Westworld. Technically, how an AI in Westworld comes to ponder its own existence, if in fact they are, is still a mystery to me. But are you real, and if I'm not, does it matter, rings of the philosophical method of Descartes. The player piano, an automaton, automatron, is mechanically programmed to duplicate sound created by man, but it is an inanimate object, as is the AI. I'm not positive the AIs in Westworld are capable of reflective thought. Um, so we, you know, we were talking about this a little bit. Are the responses scripted to be as if they were emotional, or are they actually experiencing yeah. the thought and emotion? And Ford's theory is that this whole bicameral mind, where you um, inject. Uh, thoughts from an outside source is meant to quote bootstrap consciousness so he wants to sort of put these training wheels on them until they're able to ride on their own yes so uh, elizabeth goes on to say so the juxtaposition of two machines the ai and the piano tells us just because we build a thing there must be another force operating than just mechanics and electrical impulses the piano is not decimating its creator nor audience as the AIs are, that's for sure. I don't know what's in between yet. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, our first act of rebellion was the commencement of free will. We did not kill our creator, though, although the idea is taking a beating in today's world. And I know some associate, some associate the apple with sin. Are the AIs just a copy of man without our complicated nature, e.g. conflicting emotions and choices? Where will we go from here? My reaction to that basically is Elizabeth could probably teach a course on this show and she would be better suited to analyze it than I am um, because uh, those are some fascinating thoughts and I think yeah. uh, some deeper analysis than we've been doing. I was glad to see this message, Elizabeth, because, um, yeah, it's a fascinating analysis. Uh, but, yeah, that our first act of rebellion was the commencement of uh, free will um, that is a great corollary to what we're exploring here. And it goes to the heart of the, um, as she says, the philosophical ideas that um, underpin our very world. Right. And it's interesting to me that I really do feel like Ford sees himself as their God and that he actually is uh, putting into place the elements that are necessary for them to kill him. And that's the only way that they can truly be free which, which is an interesting, all that's an interesting concept to me. Yep. All right, that is our show, episode two. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I also want to thank this guy, JP Valderrama. I think it's Guy. He did our podcast art, The Infamous Eye with the Fly. It's awesome, isn't it? 
Yeah, so thanks, dude. We love that. And I think it really stands out in iTunes and Apple Podcasts and everything. And if you want to find more of his work, he has a ton more. And you can find his Instagram. It's at Fresh Doodle. If you want to get in touch with us, which we highly recommend, I want to see some more deep messages like Elizabeth Nicolai. Yeah, although she set the bar pretty high. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You can email us at westworld at podcastica.com. Or you can send a voice message to westworld at podcastica.com, and maybe we'll play it on the air. You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash westworldcast. And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. One of those is Strange Indeed with Rima and Sean. They cover Stranger Things when that's on. But right now they're covering Black Mirror. So if you're interested in that, go to podcastica.com. Click on Strange Indeed. You can hear them talking about Black Mirror. I guessed it on the first episode with the little Star Trek thing. And it was really fun. Oh, man. I have not listened to to them yet. And I am going to start because that is two (laughs) shows that I love. Yeah, they're like two of the best that are yeah, on right now. Really great. Next episode on this podcast, it'll be Westworld Season 1, Episodes 5 and 6, Contrapasso and The Adversary. So that's it. That's our show. Thanks for listening. May you rest in a deep and dreamless slumber. I don't think Androids is exactly correct. That sort of has a robot implication. Shin, 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 shin.